This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What's up, winners? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast, episode number 71. Today is Tuesday, November 20th. God damn, it's the 20th already? 2018, I am Patrick Moran. Coming up on today's show, I'll be joined by the managing editor of Wrestling Inc., the most viewed wrestling website in the entire world, and I'm not exaggerating either. Nick Hausman will be my guest, and we'll be breaking down Survivor Series from Sunday night. We're going to go through all the matches, and I'll get Nick's thoughts on each of them. And I'll tell you what, man. It does not take us long to agree that women's wrestling is clearly the best thing going in WWE today. It's not even close. It's a fun little chat. Anyone who listens to this show knows I'm a huge wrestling mark. So every now and then when I get the chance to indulge myself with a little bit of wrestling talk, I take full advantage of it. Today's no exception. And I'm really looking forward to my conversation with Nick. Before that, I'll be joined by my boy Tone Pucks for our recurring Pat with Pucks segment. We're talking about the Buffalo Sabres sizzling start as they approach the quarter point of the season. We discuss how little we care about Jack Eichel scoring goals as long as he's dropping dimes and setting them up out there. The huge difference with Carter hunting in net compared to last year and the impressive and man, do I mean impressive progression of star rookie Rasmus Dahlin. Kid just keeps getting better literally every night out there. We're also talking Buffalo Bills as they come off their bye week. What we realistically are hoping for and expecting over the last six games. After that, we do our This Week in 80s music, which this time has us counting down the top 10 songs for this week 34 years ago, all the way back in 19. 19- 84. Got all that coming in more, but before I get to those interviews, oh yeah, if you know me, or even if you don't know me, but you follow me on Twitter, at Pamoran Tweets, by the way, cheap plug there. You know that I'm the world's biggest Office fan. In fact, this past weekend, I had another Office binge. I watched seasons three and four, pretty much Saturday and Sunday nonstop. It was like 47 consecutive episodes. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I'm good with that. And this time I took my obsession a little bit further because 
I was taking notes for each episode, and I've also been power ranking them from season one through season four. So far, I've power ranked every single episode. Reason why, well, there's two reasons. Number one, I just love the show, and it's something I hadn't done previously. Also, and here's some breaking news on the Analytics podcast, I'm going to start having some recurring segments where I talk about The Office, and I'm going to have a rotating panel of sports media or other fans on to talk about it. In fact, I'm doing season one pretty soon with Nate Gary from WGR 550. Really looking forward to that. But anyway, that's how I spent the majority of my weekend. The Bills were on a bye. Did not give a shit about the NFL this weekend. I'm being completely honest with you here. Did not know, unbeknownst to me, that Steve Carell hosted Saturday Night Live. And during his monologue, he opens up questions from the crowd. Couple Saturday Night Live cast members ask questions about the office being rebooted. And then they start working former cast members in. Um, Aaron, I forgot her name, so I apologize. But she plays Aaron on The Office. Then Ed Helms, who of course plays Andy Bernard. And Jenna Fisher, a.k.a. Pam. They're all in the audience too, and they're asking. And Steve Carell's having a little bit of fun with it, but he's also blowing it off. But they're pressuring him. And even his wife, who's with his kids in the audience, which, by the way, I did not know that he was married to Carol, the realtor on the show. Never knew that, to be completely honest with you. She's telling him that he needs to do the office reboot as well. And then at the end of the monologue, Pam, Annie Bernard, and Aaron join Michael Scott on stage. And he teases that he's here to announce an office reboot before actually saying that you got a great show for you tonight, like they always do, every host does. In fact, you know what? Here's that clip. Feels like everybody wants this to happen. Do you guys want to see an office reboot? Is that what's going on? Come up on stage. Come on up on stage. All right. I No, no, not you. You're not. All right. I am proud to announce officially that... We have a great show tonight. LMA is here. So stick around and we'll be right back. Like I said, I've seen many reports and rumors that there may be an office reboot, possibly even sometime in 2019. I've also read that Steve Carell does not have any interest in reprising his role as Michael Scott if they do another show. Who knows, though? Maybe that changed. Maybe that's why he was out there teasing it on Saturday Night Live. I'll tell you what, though. Even if he doesn't come back as a cast regular, just making a couple of appearances, that's more than enough for me. Listen, I love Michael Scott. He's far and away the best character on the show. But I don't agree with a lot of Office fans who say that the show went to shit once he left. I still thought it was entertaining. Season 8 wasn't really that great. But I loved Season 9. So I'm good with it either way. I really want Steve Carell back, but even if he's not, please, God, please make sure that we have an office reboot coming soon in our lives. And in the future, if I want to say something funny or witty or do an impression, I will no longer ever do any of those things. Does that include that's what she said? Mm -hmm. Yes. Wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling, so. That's what she said. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> Michael, please. All right, let's get on with today's podcast. Here's Pat with Pucks, followed immediately by my interview with Wrestling Inc. Managing Editor Nick Houseman. Pat with Pucks. 
you, big man. Pop, I'm talking to you. What? You wake up in the morning, you say, I put on my big boy pants. Look, I'm wearing a belt. I got big boy pants on. <laughs> oh my God, that is funny. Okay, do not worry. All of your questions are about to be answered. Cell phones and pagers off, please. All right, time for some Pat with Pucks. Just like every Tuesday show here, I am joined by my buddy, Tone Pucks. The Buffalo Bills are on a bye this week. They return on Sunday to play Jacksonville. Let's put them on the back burner for a few minutes. We'll get to the Bills in a few. Before that, I mean, listen, we got to talk Buffalo Sabres right here at the top. Let's skip the banner, all the small talk this week. Let's get right down the business with the Sabres. Dude, we keep waiting for this team to fall back, and they keep making us wait. Had a weekend road trip with huge wins at both Winnipeg and Minnesota. That game against the Wild, of course, they erased a two-goal deficit. What are your thoughts, man? Because I remember talking to you like a week or so ago, and we talked about these road trips and talking about how hard it was going to be. But somehow, some way, they keep finding a way to win. You know what I mean? And it's not that early anymore either. I mean, we're 20 games into the season now. It's a quarter of the way through the season, and I remember quite well, you know, the last time we talked, I said I, I that we'd be singing a different tune the next time we talked. Yeah, I, I think I was including the uh, the Penguin game as well, kind of thinking we'd be through the whole uh, three-game swing. But, you know, I mean, they won all three. They, they, they won all three of the games that we were talking about, or at least I was talking about being a barometer and one that I didn't think they would come out of looking really good. And there were certainly stretches where they were outplayed. You know, they were saved by uh, by their goaltending. I would almost say in all three games, because we all know how good Hutton was uh, against Tampa and against, uh, against Winnipeg. But shit, man, Allmark was uh, really held them in. Or it could have been 3 nothing, Or, you know, it could have been, you know, it's got stretched back out. I think he made like, you know, 37 of 39 uh, save something to that effect. So they got terrific goaltending, uh, timely scoring, and you know, I mean, I'm I'm not breaking any news here. Everybody's talking about it, and they're enjoying doing so. Speaking of something else that everyone's talking about, there's a big debate going on among Saber fans when it comes to Jack Eichel. Don't even know why it's a debate, but yet it is because, of course, it is. He only has four goals through 20 games. That's not great at all. But he does, as of this taping, have 18 assists, which is tied for fifth in the NHL. Now, his salary and his pedigree, some are kind of criticizing Jack Eichel for only having four goals. But again, he's been one of the best playmakers in the entire league. Are you good with Eichel racking up assists and not scoring a lot of goals? What are your thoughts when people are out there complaining about Jack's lack of goals right now? I just, I think, I mean, you kind of dismiss the idea that when you're, it goes without saying that people are going to be okay with it when you're winning. But yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to for me. If they're winning and he's distributing the puck as he certainly, you know, has been doing, then everyone's going to be fine. Everyone should be fine with it. I guess that people aren't, but I tuned that out, bro. Let me tell you, I mean, seriously, if people, as soon as I hear a conversation going in that direction in terms of Eichel, 
you know, not scoring. It's just, I, I can't even listen to it. It's a terrible take. It's just a terrible take. They're winning games. He's creating offense. And even if it's not a, a scenario in which, you know, it's like some sort of highlight reel feed or something like that, like the, uh, which he did have. I mean, come on, man, that face-off, uh, face-off goal where he, you know, won the face-off by pushing the puck through the uh, Canadians player's leg and then uh, then feeding Skinner. I mean, that's that's like a goal times three. That's gorgeous. And it was timely as well. And then against uh, against Minnesota, you know, he doesn't get an assist, you know, like it, it wasn't a pass on the Darlene goal that tied it. But, you know, he's digging at the puck, keeping it from being, uh, you know, from being frozen by the goaltender, keeping the play alive. And then Darlene pokes it home. He's doing everything that he needs to do right now, you know, for this team to win. And and they are. And that's good enough by me. But the minute, you know, th- things slow down, you, the people will start to point to, you know, the lack of goals and, um and then it'll become a topic, and and it's worth talking about when that time comes. You know, if they're losing games and he's not doing what needs to be done to keep them from losing games, you know, I mean, he is their, <laughs> you know, he is their their star player, their first center. So the minute they they aren't winning those games, it's going to be looked at to see if it's uh, if it's a product of of the first line that's been keeping us uh, keeping us going. Or whether you know it's it's the secondary scoring, which we've seen, you know, pick up quite a bit uh, during the streak. Defensive scoring as well, a lot, at least compared to last year. Anyway, how fun has it been for you watching Wrestler Stalin get out there and continue to grow every game? I mean, we knew he was going to be great, and you could sort of see it a little bit every game. Maybe not so much in the numbers, but just in the way he's playing the game, the way he's approaching the game. The way he's getting more comfortable. What are you thinking? There, I, you know, there was there was a play in in the uh, the Minnesota game that he made that actually didn't result in a goal. I think it was between the the first goal and the assist to McCabe, which was incredible, and then his goal, which tied it. I think it. I think the, the timeline was it happened in between that, but basically he just stopped on a dime. You know, deked somebody out of their shoes, out of their skates, uh, inside the blue line, and then fed for a scoring op- opportunity. And I just knew at that point that we were watching one of his best games. And I was really surprised and, and encouraged by it actually coming after an absolutely horrible giveaway, maybe five minutes into the game. He had a terrible giveaway early. You know, when you do that, you know, it's it's hard to think that someone's going to be able to turn something like that into the sort of game that people are talking about the next day. They might recover from a terrible giveaway that leads to a scoring chance. They might recover from it and put out a decent game, but to recover to the point where it becomes, you know, a game, you're coming out party almost. Boy, that's 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 really good because young players can get down on uh, on a bad early start, and he doesn't. He he did not compound the mistake at all, and it, it was sweet, man. It, it was sweet. Uh, this is so terrible, dude. Uh, you know what? It's going to happen in the puck drop later, but there is nothing worse for 
for sports talk than when your team is fucking winning. I mean, it is just, <laughs> just nothing worse. Uh, I almost feel kind of weird. I had Mike Harrington on the show last Friday, had a really thorough discussion about the Sabres. Of course, you know, Mike's a great writer, but he hates DJ Milk. He hates arena anthem music during games. He says it's way too loud. Let me ask you, I know you don't go to a ton of games, but you get to some, you get to a couple here and there. Do you agree with him? What are your thoughts on the Sabres game day presentation? Do you, do you agree with Mike? Do you hate it? Or do you think it's good? I am not as turned off by, uh, you know, the contemporary DJ Milk, uh, you know, teeny bopper, you know, sort of atmosphere as I'm not as turned off on it by a lot of the, you know, get off my lawn guys. I've seen better. I've, I've seen it done right. I've gone to a game in Toronto and it's night and day, man. I mean, it's just, you know, the songs that are played, the, the videos that are played, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's way better. It's still lacking uh, quite a bit at the arena and, you know, the, the trivia bullshit that we you know, where, you know, that they give the, uh, you know, the guy, the answer or whatever, because it's like something you, they could never get in a million years. So, you know, that they're, they're given the answer. It's just a lot of fluff and it's not, uh, it's not, it's just not that entertaining. Yeah. I don't really have much to add. I haven't been to a Sabres game or any event at the arena for that matter in at least a few years. Let's switch gears. Let's talk about the bills for a few. They're coming off a bye. They're playing the Jacksonville Jaguars, who shockingly, to me anyway, are three and seven. Their season's pretty much trash. It's over. This probably goes without saying, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Even though Matt Barkley looked pretty good in the Bills' win against the Jets before the bye, assuming that he's healthy, Josh Allen's starting this week, and you're perfectly good with that, right? Yeah, I am. You know, there was a part of me that would have, wouldn't, have mind waiting, you know, for Allen to, uh, to come back after Jacksonville, just because I felt like they were a tough matchup. You know, you got Jalen Ramsey and all his bullshit that, you know, leading up to, you know, or coming into the season or whatever, how he was talking about how Allen was such trash. And I just, I, I didn't feel like putting him back out against that. To tell you the truth, I, I wouldn't have minded taking a 95% Josh Allen, and waiting for that extra 5%. But, you know, at this point, man, I think they're a team. I think that Jacksonville team is, is now one that's going to be coming in with their, you know, with their tail between their legs. I, I think they six in a row they've lost. You know, you got to beat that team now. I mean, that team, that team's going to have a terrible week of practice. They can say whatever they want. All right. They, they blew their season in incredible fashion. They ain't going to get shit done this week. They, they should get rolled, you know, and probably 25 teams in the NFL would roll them. We're not one of those 25 teams. We're not good enough to go out and necessarily roll anybody, especially with a rookie quarterback. We should beat them, you know. I mean, honestly, do we find ourselves favored? You know, this is what are, it's two, three and seven teams. Got two, three and seven teams. One of them just lost in, you know, humiliating fashion and the other one's at home be interesting well <laughs> although i still got jack now i haven't seen it or anything like that but if i had to make a prediction i got jacksonville as a two-point favorite early lines have jacksonville at minus three right now so i want to bring you back a few weeks ago to that houston game 
I vividly remember talking to you about it afterwards for this show. Lots of fans were, you know, upset about Peterman or about Josh Allen getting hurt and so on. You were straight up really, really pissed off that the Bills lost that game because in your own words, they blew a golden opportunity to win that game and still have themselves a season. And at the time, I'm like, "Eh, whatever, you got to be kidding me. Who cares? They don't got no season, win or lose that game. But you know what? They did. You, I think you were right because, you know, the Bills right now at the bye are three and seven. Let's just say they beat Houston. They're four and six. Still got six games left. I'm looking at the AFC standings right now, and the Chargers are at seven and three. They're a lock to get a wild card spot. But that sixth seed, holy shit, bro. You got Miami at five and five. You got, uh, Baltimore at five and five. You got Cincinnati at five and five. You got India at five and five. And you got Tennessee at five and five. I mean, wow, if the Bills win that game, they're four and six. They're only one game back. As improbable as it sounds, the Bills would they could be in it. We could still be talking about salvaging a season somehow, some way. It's not as crazy as it sounds. Had they been in Houston? Uh, if it's not as crazy as it sounds, it's, it's pretty close. Well, now it is because they're three and seven. But if they're four I and six, even at not... four and six, maybe they, maybe at Why? five and six, maybe at five and six, they're in the, uh, they're in the conversation. But you know, even at four and six, they'd be a bad four and six team. They, they just, they're, you know, they, they have a laughing stock at at the quarterback position. I They've don't been care. A bunch- They've been a punchline at the quarterback position all year long. Now, if they found their way to five and six or maybe six and six, you, you know, then they'd be in the conversation. But I, listen, I don't agree with you, bro. They six games left, okay? And New England's going to be a loss. After, Besides that, man, Jacksonville at home, Miami on the road, Jets at home, Detroit shitty-ass Lions at home, and the Miami Dolphins again at home. You're telling me that that can't be five wins there in six games? If they're four and six, they win five of those last six. What's that add up to, dude? That adds up to nine and seven. I just read you a bunch of five and five teams. There's a good chance they beat Houston that they're in the playoff mix. Not saying they're going to win five of their last six, so don't get me wrong. I'm telling you that coming into this game against Jacksonville, we're very much having a playoff wildcard discussion right now, in my opinion. Clearly, you don't agree, though. I just don't. I just, I think uh, rookie quarterbacks are are finally, I'll say, regressing to the mean. I mean, we, we went through that period, you know, with guys like Wilson, uh, Luck, RG3, you know, guys who came out and, and performed well as rookies. But this year, they, you know, the, the first rounders are proving uh, just how difficult it is to start in year one. And, and the minute the, the keys got handed over, to Josh Allen this year, even after the Minnesota game. I mean, maybe I had a little bit of, you know, playoff, you know, sort of uh, tease after Minnesota. But you turn those keys over to a rook, man. You're tapping out, bro. Well, let me ask you this, okay? Let's just say if the Bills were four and six, and I read five teams off to you that are only one game up on them for that sixth seed right now. If they're four and six and not three and seven, are we having a different conversation and maybe Matt Barkley does start against Jacksonville as opposed to going back to Josh Allen? 
Well, it all depends on, you know, if uh, if Allen got the win against Houston or if we're just talking about things being as they are, Peterman would have got the win against Houston, you know, everything else being equal with the Houston result being different. I think people are probably making a case for Barkley, and, and I've heard people make a case for Barkley, and I could listen to it. I think McDermott came out and talked about Allen having one of, you know, playing his best game of the year so far against Houston. I don't know what the fuck game he's talking about. I mean, seriously, that that offense was completely and utterly inept against Houston with a ton of short fields. I have no idea what McDermott's talking about. Allen had the one good throw on the play that he got hurt on. Other than that, you know, it was Green Bay practically all over again. So, well, yeah, I could have I could have gotten talked into into Barkley if there was a season to be had, but you know, there's not. Well, I mean, this conversation was completely a hypothetical based on if they had beaten Houston and were four and six, they didn't, they're three and seven. You go with the kid. If he's ready, it's pretty simple. No question about that. It's just frustrating though. Sometimes when you think about it, because I mean, there's not a lot of good teams in the AFC right now. If the bills are four and six with that schedule, they got left. For the second straight year, we'd be talking about them in the playoffs, or at least in the mix, I should say, anyway. But that's not the case. It's probably more likely that they end up with a top five pick than they ever do in the playoffs. So having said that, let's move on. I do got one more question based on the fact that the Bills are going nowhere. And of course, Josh Allen being the most important thing. What are you most looking forward to watching over these last six weeks? Realistically, what are your expectations and hopes Outside, of course, of Josh Allen playing well. If Allen's playing, I want to win some football games. All right. I mean, when you were talking just now about the season being over as as it relates to playoff chances, I was just going to shout out what I thought the record would be. And and uh, I want to win six football games. Uh, I I I think five and eleven is kind of a man. You really suck season five and eleven and worse. I think six, uh, you know, getting the six wins from from where we were is one that, um, you know, can keep you out of the, oh, my God, you know, what a disaster of a season, uh, you know, conversation. And I think, it, you know, being out of that conversation, not being held in that, you know, in that sort of light will help, you know, with free agency and stuff like that. So I want to win football games. I want to see Teller uh, develop into a, uh, a reliable starter where I don't have to touch the left side of the uh, of the offensive line. I want as much as I want Allen to you know just have good overall games. I want to see him develop some chemistry with Zay. You know I think that's that's going to be important. He's going to. I want to have a guy that he's got good familiarity and, and comfort with who become kind of a dangerous, you know, tandem going forward. So that's, that's what I want to see on the offensive side of the ball and, you know, defense just, uh, just kind of keeping it up. I mean, sure, man, it'd be nice if uh, Levi Wallace turned into a, a starter, but uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't exactly count on that. You know, you, you look for guys like both of the Phillips to continue to, uh, develop on the inside of the line to the point where that's not as big a need as it may be when when Kyle walks away. 
But, you know, I mean, status quo on defense, man. You know, it'd be nice to get some – There's here's something. Be nice to get some splash plays from Tremaine Edmonds. All right? I mean, he's looked good, very good at times. Love to see, you know, whatever you consider or anyone considers splash plays. I'd like to start getting a few of those from, uh, from Tremaine. Fair enough. Looking at the schedule, there's no reason in the world for them not to win at least three of these last six games. There's plenty of reasons. There's no reason for them not to. No good reason, I should say. Uh, All right, let's do our This Week in 80s Music segment. We've been doing this the last couple weeks, but a lot of fun. Well, at least it's been a lot of fun for us. Not sure about anyone out there listening. But every week I pick a Billboard Top 10 chart from a certain week in a certain year of the 80s, and we go through it, see if it brings back some good or bad memories. This week... I'm going to do the top 10 songs for the charts that ended on the week of November 24th, 1984, 34 years ago. You ready? I would, I'd like to throw my own little spin on this. We don't have to do this each time, but I I wanted to ask as I was thinking about it, what, what was a, uh, a young Patrick Moran doing with himself in November of 1984? Well, back in 1984, I was 13 years old, and I was in seventh grade, maybe sixth, can't remember. Regardless, back in those days, I think at that time I wanted to be Alex P. Keaton from Family Ties. I went to West Hurdle Academy in Black Rock for grammar school. I don't think there was a term called middle school back then. Anyway, I would be wearing a shirt and a tie to school every day because I wanted to be like Alex P. Keaton. Corny as that may sound, but it is true. Alex P. Keaton, yeah, you were you wanted to be. I did. I thought it was my family ties was yeah. my favorite show, man. I wanted to be Alex P. Keaton. Number ten was Stevie Wonder. I just called to say I love you. Fabulous song. When that came out, man, it was because I was a Stevie guy. Um, I grew up on on Stevie and uh, and Billy Joel and of course Barry. And you know, I mean, I that that was like his kind of his last hurrah. Like his last smash hit. Yeah. I just called to say I love you. That was that 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 song, it was like the minute you heard that song, you knew it was gonna be a hit. I thought it was kind of corny, but it was one of those songs Whatever. that was corny. Corny, but you couldn't help but sing along to it anyway. Number nine, Lionel Richie, Penny Lover. This is pretty good. Hate that we can't actually play clips of these songs. I would, but if I did, we'd get sued. Number eight, All Through the Night by Cindy Lauper. I'll tell you what, I really like that song. Very underrated song by her. No one associates All Through the Night when it comes to Cindy Lauper, but I liked it. I liked All Through the Night, too. I was I was a fan of that. I, I would confuse it uh, with Time After Time sometimes, but I remember it. I like it. All right, and number seven was probably the one song on this countdown that I don't remember quite as well as the others. That was Strut by Sheena Easton. How well do you remember that? What'd you say about it? I don't remember it as well as the other songs that are on the top 10. Please, dude. Strut out and put it out is what you want from women. Come on, baby. What you taking me for? Okay. How good. about now? Good job. How about now? I do remember now. That, that was brilliant. Number Strut six. Great. <laughs> Number six was Billy Ocean, Caribbean Queen. And again, this is a weekly chart. Who knows? where it was before, but I remember this was one of the top songs of the year. In fact, I just did my top 100 songs about a year or so ago in my blog, 
top 100 songs of the 80s, I should say. Caribbean Queen was definitely in the top 10. It was either four, five, or six, somewhere in that range. Definitely one of my favorite songs of the 80s. Absolutely loved it. I like it too, but here's my issue with with Caribbean Queen, all right? Nowhere in that song does it remotely sound like Caribbean Queen and not Caribou Queen, all right? (laughs) Every time he says it in that song, and it's not like it's an accent or anything. It's, I mean, come on, Caribou Queen. It, is, it never sounds like Caribbean. Am I the only? Am I, am I the only one who thinks that? I, I can't be. I never thought of it till you said that. Number five, Tina Turner. Better be good to me. Kind of catchy. Yeah, it was all right. Eh. Holland Oates was at number four with Out of Touch. Seems like they had a hit on the charts every single week in the first half of the 80s. You're out of touch. I'm out of time. Doesn't matter my... (laughs) (laughs) I'm speechless right now. (laughs) I was going to say something that I'm like, "Eh." don't really know what to say. You know that Alonzo Morning gif? (laughs) That was kind of like my reaction as you were singing that shit. Number three, okay, and this was one of the most played songs on the radio the entire decade. Shaka Khan, Feel For You. I swear to God, I remember that song getting on the radio like every 20 minutes. That's a great song. Was it really, though? I wasn't so crazy about it. I think I love you. Number two, and he was on the charts last week during our discussion from 1983 weekending charts. This time he's number two with Purple Rain. Talking, of course, about Prince. I mean, you know, just legendary shit right there. And the number one song on the charts for the week ending November 24th, 1984. The incomparable Wham! with Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. One of my absolute favorites. Because I'm not planning on going solo, baby. (laughs) I mean... I listened to that song. You know how it is, man. When you just when you first hear a song, and it's just like you just listen to it and listen to it and listen to it until you're just completely and utterly sick of it. And and Michael got me again. All right, like a year or two later, with uh, with I want your sex. I mean, just two biggies <laughs> for me and George right there. All right, time for your last take, also known as the puck drop. What do you got this week? It, it was going to be on how terrible sports talk is when the Sabres are doing well because there's it's just like like positive people start coming out of the woodwork and they're so annoying. Um, but I do have another one along with that. And, you know, it, it relates to the reason, I think, anyways, for a lot of their early season success. And it goes kind of in the face of of some of what we were told by the analytics crowd in the past few years. You know, there was a large contingency on both sides of the Robin Leonard debate, okay? People wanted to tell you how, you know, competent he was and above average he was as a goaltender because strictly of his, uh, you know, what his save percentage was. And then you had, you know, another group that just wanted to wanted to run him out of town. And I always kind of felt in the middle of that, you, you know, I mean— the numbers didn't lie. You know, save percentage is a big, big 
you know, predictor of, uh, of how good your goaltending is, no doubt about it. But it did always seem like, you know, he was, he would give up, you know, the goal, the goal that, that lost you the game. He didn't make the save that, uh, that won you the game. And obviously in overtimes and shootouts, he was incredibly overmatched, uh, almost to a laughable extent in the shootouts. So, it looks like we're getting our answer on Robin Leonard and because you're starting to see what good goaltending looks like, what it looks like to get that big save in the closing moments to win a hockey game. And it's exactly what Carter Hutton has been doing this year. And it's exactly what you weren't getting from Leonard. So, you know, as far as that debate is concerned, advantage Leonard haters because the biggest reason for this Buffalo Sabres start, uh, as much as I love what Jeff Skinner is doing, the biggest reason for this Buffalo Sabres start is Carter Hutton. Good job, man. Solid point. I agree with you 100%. Carter Hutton has been fantastic for the Buffalo Sabres. Biggest reason why they're playing as well as they have. My pet peeve, and I'm going to make this quick, are people who bitch about everything that the Buffalo News does. Mike Harrington, and yeah, he was on my show last week, so people are going to say, well, you're just being nice because he was on your show. No, I'm not, because I don't agree with a lot of stuff that Mike says, especially on Twitter, and I let him know that. But anyway, he wrote a really good story on Pat Kane, Buffalo native, turned 30 this week. It was a top story in the Sunday newspaper in the sports section, and people were ripping him on Twitter because the Sabres are playing so well, but it was a Pat Kane story that got the headlines. Listen, it's a different media world out there now. You got The Athletic, you got Bleacher Report. They're doing deep dive stories, and that's what people want to read. They don't just want to read box scores and game recaps. Mike did what I thought was a really good story on Kane. Very informative, very insightful. Good job by him, and fans just ripped on it. We talked about this earlier in the show. The team's playing so well that fans have to look harder and dig deeper to find stuff to bitch about. So what do they do? They bitch about a feature story being the headline instead of the Sabres playing well. There's plenty of Sabres content in that newspaper and on the website. So just knock this shit off, man. Knock it off. I'm good with that. I just though I just hate Pat Kane. I, I mean and I and I like to see you know that sort of writing being done by the news. You know, obviously, uh, you know, since they lost Graham as a as a feature writer, the way you know he could tell a story, you know, it's been lacking. So you know, good on uh Harrington to to go and get something like that. I just I I I just do not like Pat Kane, man. You're not I alone. Just, You're not alone. I just do not like Pat Kane. I could care less about, you know, where where it uh, bumped the Sabres off the headlines or whatever. I just, I don't like to do it at all. All right, last piece of business here. Weekly shout out. Mine's going to Drew Brees. That dude is just absolutely slaying the NFL. Dropped four more touchdown passes, 463 yards as the Saints murdered the Eagles. I love Pat Mahomes, man. I've been singing his praises all year, but right now, Drew Brees is the MVP. Fun as hell to watch. Ageless just keeps getting better. I mean, some of the passes he was throwing against Philly. Oh my God, just absolutely ridiculous. So anyway, he gets my shout out for the week. Got anyone you want to give a shout out to? No. Dynamite drop in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. You just made the list. Michael Cole, shut up! The house that 
This is my yard now. Okay, my guest is the managing editor of Wrestling Inc., one of the biggest and best wrestling websites in the world. I'm a wrestling fan, and I go there for my news and notes pretty much daily. They also have a great podcast, of which we'll hit on. Welcome Nick Hausman from Wrestling Inc. to the show. What's up, Nick? Thanks for coming on with me today. My pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for having me on here today, Pat. Oh, the pleasure is definitely on mine. I'm a big wrestling fan. I'm a big fan of the work you do. So I've been looking for a reason to be able to get you on this show for quite a while. Today's definitely that reason. We're obviously going to talk about Survivor Series from Sunday night in a few minutes. But before that, I saw on your Twitter that you were playing dominoes Sunday night with WWE legend, The Godfather. What's the story with that? Uh, well, The Godfather, uh, Charles Wright, is part of a group in wrestling known as the Bone Street Crew, BSK. Um, do you know, have you ever heard of BSK? Do you know what I'm talking about? I have heard of it. Yes. Okay. BS. So back in the nineties, there was the click that was like its locker room entity. And then there was BSK and BSK was uh, godfather who was uh, probably comma or Papa Shango at the time. Uh, Undertaker, Yokozuna, Savio Vega, Henry Godwin. Um, and there may be one or two others I'm forgetting as well, but that was the, the group called BSK. And the reason they were called bone street crew is because they threw bones. And for those that aren't familiar with that phrase, throwing bones is uh, slang for playing dominoes. And that was what they would do in the back. They'd hang out and they'd play dominoes. So legendary, prolific dominoes players. Um, With that said, I'm a bit of a fan of the old dominoes. I have my own set of bones at home. (laughs) And uh, since since I was at the event with Godfather last night, he was hosting the Survivor Series viewing party for Wrestling Inc. at uh, Duffy's Tavern and Grill here in Chicago. Beautiful establishment. Uh, You know, he had wrapped up the autographs and stuff. We were sitting on stage. We were just chatting. We were eating dinner. And I was like, you know, man, I I live across the street. I can go grab my dominoes. If you want to throw bones, I would love to try to to beat you in in bones. And he was like, go get them. So I ran across the street in 30-degree weather, grabbed my dominoes, came back to the bar. We set up a table on the lip of the stage. Made an announcement to the crowd that we were going to throw bones. People could watch. Uh, he won the first game. I won the second game. We are now one and one. We have a third game to come here in the future. And at the end of the night, uh, almost made me cry. He took the microphone and he said, since I had beat him in a game of bones, uh, he was making me an honorary member of the Bone Street crew. So <laughs> weirdly, so weirdly now, Undertaker, myself, are part of a, a group <laughs> with the the Godfather, and I'm very. He called me an honor, honorary member of BSK. I am honored to be a member of BSK. It was a very very cool thing. Thank you for bringing that up. I, I'm happy I got to tell that story. <laughs> that's a really cool story, man. Seriously, that's really cool. Congrats on uh playing dominoes with the Godfather. <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's my whole life. The the wacky world of wrestling is great that way because you know every week I wake up and I have no idea what to expect. I really don't. It could be anything that, you know, I didn't expect to play Bones last night. Uh, I have not. Uh, I, I, I am very good friends with Tony Clifton, unfortunately, and I've been to a couple events with Tony and Jerry Lawler. That's always a, a trip. So, uh, yeah, it's weird. Wrestling's weird. Anyway, Survivor Series. also kind of <laughs> Yeah. And we're going to get to that in one second. Real quick, though, tell all the fans out there listening who may be unaware a little bit about Wrestling Inc. and your involvement in it and such. 
Uh, absolutely. Yeah, Wrestling Inc. Uh, we're the most traffic website on the planet for pro wrestling news. Been around a couple decades now. Uh, it's owned by Raj Geary. Uh, we do podcasts after Raw and SmackDown, which you've uh, brought up. We also do Wednesday podcast uh, with myself, Glenn Rubenstein, and uh, traditionally Justin Labar. Sometimes Raj sits in. Um, and uh, then every Thursday, I do a podcast called The Winkly, which is just kind of my interview news dump uh, of the week. Uh, this week, I'm gonna I have an interview with Court Bauer. I'm gonna include with that MLW's owner, Court Bauer. Uh, I'm also I just before I chatted with you, I felt bad. We got the Eastern Time Zone, Central yeah, Time Zone. Flipped. I do that often. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, but I I just interviewed uh, James Nunn, who's the director of the Marine Six Close Quarters. With the the Miz and uh, Shawn Michaels, and we talked for about forty five minutes. Me, him, and Glenn for an interview that'll air this Thursday on the Winkly, and uh, it was great, man. Yeah, uh, so we do a lot of stuff, a lot of original content, a lot of coverage of all the big news stories going on from the world of wrestling. Definitely make us your source uh, to go to for all your pro wrestling news. And uh, like I say, if you winked, you didn't miss it. <laughs> no doubt about it, man. No doubt. So we suspected Charlotte and Ronda Rousey would steal the show, and most think they did. It was a good match with an ending that really shouldn't have been all that surprising in hindsight. Charlotte snaps. She becomes a heel, full-fledged heel, attacking her with the Kendall stick and such, laying her out. Before discussing Charlotte, what did you think of the match? I thought it was, you know, I thought it was all right. I thought it was good, you know, especially for these two having to put this together on, on such short notice. Um, I thought it was, I thought the end was executed well. I thought it put a lot of, uh, fire on Charlotte, which she, you know, needed. Uh, it seemed kind of like a foregone conclusion that Rhonda may get the better of her here. And I'm glad that she uh, she ended the bout the way she did. Uh, so violent. Um, it, it's needed to keep her in that mix with uh, Becky and Rhonda. And I, I honestly would not be surprised to see if the tides don't turn towards uh, maybe a triple threat or something like that. Come mania because Charlotte, um, she got back her she got back her her heat last night. She was she was great. I thought it was exactly the right move for her. Now, her turning heel, well that was that was a good move. I mean, personally, I've always liked her much better as a heel, but she's kind of been like that royalty smug heel, you know, not that badass heel we saw last night. She, she reminded me a little bit at least of what they're already doing with Becky Lynch. Or am I entirely wrong with that because it's very possible that I am. I mean, but that's the thing is the women right now embody, I think, a lot of the stuff that made wrestling fun in the 90s and, and even some of the stuff in the 80s. I, I mean, I think they're just blending so much stuff that's, that's really working right now. And by that, I mean, if you look at the Attitude Era, you had a lot of like gray area characters, right? You had good guys doing bad things, right? Stone right. Cold, The Rock, Mick Foley. You know, nobody was a saint in the 90s, right? Right. And that made them more three-dimensional, more interesting characters. And I think that by having... A uh, couple characters out there like a Charlotte or a Becky where it's like anything is possible. You know, it, you can be surprised at any time by the way they're going to behave. You get enough sharks in the water like that. It becomes a it, be, it becomes a very interesting environment. And it's not so black and white. You know, it's you, you got to pay more attention. You get more invested in it. I, I think it's I think it's really great the way they're handling the women. Chris Jericho said on his Twitter Monday morning that he considers women's wrestling the hottest thing going in WWE right now. Do you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. I've been saying that in different shows for a couple of weeks now. And I've, I've you know, I was uh, lucky to interview Nita Strauss last week, who's the guitarist that opened up Evolution. And, uh, you know, she uh, she's very good friends with all the women in the locker room. And I, I said the same thing straight to her. I said, have the women eclipse the men, in your opinion, in, in, you know, forms of personality and popularity. 
And her response was very similar to kind of what I just said, which is she just thinks that the women are doing a better job telling stories right now. She just thinks they're better characters. So, uh, yeah, to answer your question very bluntly, I do think that the women are, are a lot more interesting than many of the male storylines right now at WWE. What do you think or what do you make, I should say, of the crowd in Los Angeles kind of giving Ronda Rousey the business a little bit, cheering on Charlotte as she was beating her down after the match with weapons and such? I mean, I... I Think Ronda Rousey's supposed to be the face in all this, but they were giving her the business, man. Much more, or I should say many more Charlotte fans in that crowd than Ronda Rousey fans are. So it seemed anyway. I'm not really a Ronda fan. I'll be honest. Like, I don't like the way she's carrying herself. I don't like the millennial man thing. I don't think it's really, I don't think it's good for anyone to be bullying a large portion of your audience like that. And that's exactly what she's doing. She got in trouble just today. I don't know if you saw this. She had to delete a tweet um, referencing how Becky doesn't have a penis or something like that, something ri- ridiculous, uh, again, that she, like, had to take back. I just don't, I don't, I think that it's, I think she's a great fighter. I think she's better with her actions, and I think she needs, I mean, if I, she's got to keep her mouth shut. Her, the, the way she's talking to people, I mean, she's going to get, in, she's going to get some trouble right now, but not that WWE seems to care. I mean, they've kind of turned a blind eye to a lot of controversy recently, but I'm not a fan of the way Ronda's carrying herself, and I think that the fans are going to, uh, are not going to be into her as much as they expect in the coming months. No, we're taping this, and this will be released either sometime Monday night or very early Tuesday morning. So essentially what I'm saying is it's being taped before Raw on Monday night. How do you think? How do you see things starting to play out when Becky Lynch is back? Because, I mean, it seems like, you know, Becky's going to have beef with Nia Jax, and obviously now Ronda with Charlotte as well, but they're on opposite brands, you know what I mean? How do you see this playing out over the next handful of weeks? A very interesting question. I mean, it's going to be all about when Becky can get back in the ring. I mean, she's still got the title. Um, I can see her running roughshod through uh, maybe a Carmella, uh, maybe maybe Asuka. Asuka would be a, a great hurdle for her to have to overcome um, until we get to Rumble, where you get to see her touch gloves with with Charlotte and Nia, or not Charlotte, but but Nia and the uh, and Ronda. You know, other women outside of the the SmackDown bubble. And then, you know, maybe that's where you start to set the seeds for for whatever comes at WrestleMania. But I definitely think there's one or two more hurdles, uh, big opponents for Becky to work with over on SmackDown here before we get to January with the Royal Rumble. I'm with Nick Houseman from Wrestling Inc. One more woman's question, and then we'll move on to some other stuff. You mentioned Asuka. Are you starting to feel like the shine is gone from her, at least a little bit? Um, I hear that. I hear that a lot from fans. I think that had really high expectations from Asuka knowing her background and uh, same thing with Shinsuke. Uh, I, it's, it's weird to me because I think the general fans are, yeah, I think they're still into her. Honestly. I mean, last week when Becky went down the line and was like picking the opponent that was going to go face Ronda, people wanted to see Asuka. She, she yeah. got a bigger reaction. Than Charlotte, you know, she did. Um, in retrospect, I would have, you know, I, I still I, I was a little critical of the idea of maybe not doing Asuka versus Ronda. Why would you why would you wait? Uh, why would you get right to Charlotte Ronda? I was happy with how that came out. Really no complaints. But I do think that Asuka has more popularity than the hardcore IWC audience uh, is probably giving her credit for right now. Not to say they couldn't be doing more with her. Definitely could. But I don't think she's lost as much luster as a lot of fans uh, would would tell you on Twitter. All right, fair enough. Let's head on a few of the other matches. Brock Lesnar beats Daniel Bryan, but Daniel Bryan got a decent amount of offense in, especially in the second half of the match. What were your thoughts on that match? 
what comes out of it for each following it? And also, do you like Daniel Bryan as a heel right now, or is that sort of feeling forced to you? I don't mind Daniel Bryan as a heel, but man, if you're going to turn the guy heel, have him go up against a big old baby face, right? Brock's not even close to like a definitive good guy. Yeah, right, right, right uh, yeah. So, I mean, right out of the gate, this guy is uh, shackled with having to to try to maintain that energy and enthusiasm of a heel up against a guy who, who may steal his heat from him because he's more unlikable. Um, tough spot to be in. With that said, the match, man, I I don't know. I didn't really, I didn't dig the the booking, the pacing of it with Brian getting the snot kicked out of him for the first half and Brock passing on pinfalls and stuff. Right. Um, it did, you know, it did have a great moment there in the second half with the cross face from, or the yes lock from Daniel where he, he made Brock's head purple like a like a pimple or something like that. <laughs> um, you know, that was cool. But in the end, I mean, Brock just destroyed this man. I um, I don't know. I don't know how it helps Daniel. Um, I don't know. I mean, it didn't. It wasn't the most effective main event for me. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is a head scratcher to have a guy turn heel, win the title, and then get pretty much dominated just six days later by another heel on a pay-per-view match. It It, it is confusing. I agree with you 100% there. However, it came about, though, very cool that Daniel Bryan was able to not only get cleared, come back and wrestle, but he is holding that that WWE championship right now. Kudos to him, regardless of how it happened. That's a very cool accomplishment that he did that, especially in such short order. Yeah, sure. Definitely. Now, Seth Rollins and Nakamura had a pretty good match, I thought. I was expecting Dean Ambrose's music to hit at some point. That never happened. And Seth goes over him clean, albeit very suddenly. Were you a little surprised? And what were your thoughts on that match? Did you think it was a good one or no? I thought it was good. I mean, it, it was a great wrestling match, right? It had all the high fun spots and, you know, slow action when it needed to be there. It was a very solid, good wrestling match. The right guy went over. Shinsuke is, you know, not, you know, I say Asuka has kept her shine. Shinsuke, on the other hand, um, I don't I don't know, man. People people seem to be checking out on that guy a little bit. Yeah, probably more so than any other match. That men's survivor match showed how utterly dominant Raw is right now than SmackDown. Well, at least when it comes to the booking anyway, Raw dominated and it was Shane McMahon left defend for SmackDown at the end. Were you a little surprised about that? I shouldn't even ask you. You probably aren't surprised, but what were your thoughts on that match? Uh, you know, it was it was fun. Um, it wasn't maybe the greatest Survivor Series match. I think you hit the nail on the head by saying it was more about showcasing the dominance of Monday Night Raw. Um, and... I, I wasn't surprised because Raw's the raw the raw side of the equation had stakes, right? If Braun wins, he gets to beat up Baron Corbin, which he pretty quickly uh, went about doing as soon as the bout was over. SmackDown, you know, where there weren't any stakes, you know, um, Shane's on a, a a heel turn right now. It seems I I would imagine he's going to be doing some kvetching here on Tuesday night. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it did the job. It didn't blow me away, but it did the job. It got us to where we want to be, you know, for the next chapter. And right now it's such a critical time for them to be building momentum, building stories, especially in the wake of, wake of what happened with Roman. And then your your Becky plans get pulled off the table. So um, whatever we can do to start getting to some meaningful stories, I hope this was a, a springboard for it. Give us a little bit of a preview in your own creative process right now. If you are running things, where do you think a Shane McMahon heel turn may lead to in the coming weeks? I mean, he if he fired Paige um, and brought in, you know, a new acting uh, general manager, um, I, I could see kind of a Mad King type scenario playing out where he just starts making 
uh, decisions that that ruffle the feathers of the roster and and maybe the fans. So something like that. Um, Yeah. Mad King. I'll say the Mad King storyline for Shane McMahon. Okay, so now on the women's side, the women's survivor match, Nia Jax is the sole survivor. By the way, inadvertent punch to Becky Lynch last week or not. What a way to generate heat. That crowd really, really hated her. And I mean really hated her. <laughs> what were your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I mean, it's the old, uh, I, broke Wah- it's the old I Broke Wahoo's Leg uh, storyline here. You know, lightning in a bottle. If everybody can go behind a curtain, shake hands, and agree that this was an accident, and continue to be able to do business together, hopefully they can capitalize on it. You know, Becky's got multiple interesting opponents right now. It's a, it's a great spot for, you know, it's a great spot for the women's division that so many women right now are interesting, and I want to see them doing things. I have opinions about what they're doing. It wasn't like that a couple years ago. Uh, I, could, I couldn't agree more. I look forward to watching the women now. I really do. I didn't before. I'm going to be honest with you, but now it's a big part of the show for me. I really enjoy especially on SmackDown side. I love watching it. AOP beats the bar. I didn't think much of it other than Drake Maverick visiting his pants. You got anything to add on that match? Well, this is the match where Enzo got booted, right? Yes. Well, that's the story of this match, right? Is yeah, man, I was saving like, that for you, but let's talk about that now. What's your thoughts on all that? He, he comes out, you trying to hijack the show. Clearly, that wasn't part of a wrestling angle either, at least from everything I've read. It has nothing to do with WWE. What were your thoughts on that entire thing? Um, He committed a crime? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that can't possibly was, help him in the future. That was my thought. I'm like, what are you doing, man? That's not going to help you ever get back in WWE or... You know, make you more so, popular in the indie scene either. I won't think it would. Within 24 hours, there were like three Enzo stories. There was the there was the story he wrote. A, he released a rap song about Liv Morgan, who I guess they dated. Right. right. Yep. He got he got booted off of an airplane for vaping. Right. As a fan yelled at him, "How you doing?" As he was escorted off by police. And then last night, yeah, he pops up and is again escorted off by police. You know what? If most of the decisions in your life lead to you being escorted out of places by police, maybe time to start rethinking the choices you are making in your life. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I couldn't agree more. Did you enjoy the Cruiserweight match? I thought it was pretty good. Oh, Cruiserweights are great. I'm a big Mustafa Ali fan. He's a Chicago boy here. He was a Chicago cop, uh, I should say. And uh, yeah, him and Buddy, you know, those guys, those guys go out there and they work so hard and they're doing such great matches. And I want to, it's weird. Because the women, in my opinion, are working a slower style, right? They're not going out there and doing a lot of the cruiserweight-styled stuff. They're going out there and they're telling an emotional stories you emotionally invest in. They're creating characters. The fights are good, but they're fights, right? They're not, you know, these uh, showcases of, of gymnasm. Not that that's anything wrong. That has its spot on the card. But it when I see the match like that. And, you know, I hear it in your voice. You're like, it was a good, it was a good thing. That's, that's the reaction to every cruiserweight match now. I mean, they've got to find a way to transition from being just great matches with big moves to great matches and big moves with characters and personalities that I'm, in, I'm invested in. And uh, there's a lot more you can be doing with Ali. Fascinating guy. Uh, I don't know as much about Buddy Murphy. I only know what I saw in Total Divas. Um, but, you know, there's got to be more to these guys. And I don't feel like they're doing enough to dig underneath the surface. I feel like they're just pairing up the best two people that people haven't seen yet and putting them out there to go do a nice, you know, cruiserweight match. And I just want a little bit more on the personality side. Good point. 
I'd like to see a little more character, personality, driven angles on the 205 side as well. I really don't get it. I, and I and it makes me, in turn, not care that much. Anyway, second last question for you here. Why in the hell did the pre-show Tag Team Survivor Series match not even count in the standings, the Raw vs. SmackDown scorecard, I should say? It feels to me like if you're not going to make that match matter when it's Raw vs. SmackDown and you're keeping score, then what motivation do I have to even get to my TV early and turn on the pre-show and watch it? You know what I mean? Well, I'm glad this match didn't count because I don't feel like it should count. I don't think it, <laughs> I, really I don't think it should have never been a match to begin with. I'm not saying yeah. you know what I mean. It's but if you're gonna have that match, don't it's, it's Robert SmackDown. Why should it count? Yeah, okay, maybe it will. Yeah, all right, it should have counted storyline wise, probably. But I was so over this match and like get it off my TV when I saw Sanity show up in the back on SmackDown and looked at the Usos and said, "United, we purge." Um, and then fell in line. Yeah. And it was like, these are the anarchists. These are the anti-establishment. They've been off TV for 10 weeks. And I feel like, oh, we got a chance to be on TV. Oh, we're part of a team. Sure, I'll be a team player. It just kind of kills the whole gimmick. You know, I wish that. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of things. There was a lot of issues I had with how quickly and slapdasheried this was put together. So before I let you go, I know you got a lot of stuff going on, Nick. When it's all said and done and you factor everything in, what would be your final grade for Survivor Series? My final grade for Survivor Series, I'd give, I'd give a C plus, uh, maybe a B minus, but definitely not A. Um, there, uh, and it's not. I don't. I don't want to completely fault them because there were there. Uh, like I said, Roman, Becky, there were extenuating circumstances here that they had to make big changes. I do think there were some self inflicted wounds here. I think that doing two shows. Um, during the build to Survivor Series, uh, Evolution and Crown Jewel, yeah, you you traditionally got a four to six uh, week build for Survivor Series. You only had two, so yeah. that was a self inflicted wound, you know. Um, and also, I mean, I, you know, again, people are gonna say, oh, well, they they made fifty million dollars. Oh, they've got a five hundred million dollar contract. I, I don't care how many times I hear it. You cannot tell me that wrestling fans did not walk away feeling gross. And kind of disenfranchised a little bit after that Crown Jewel show. And that was another self-inflicted wound for me. So I think that this could have been a better show. Uh, you know, you look at NXT the night before, Universal Praise, great show. That brand was not tainted by any of the stuff that I just brought up before. I think there's something to that. And I think there were lessons to be learned from that whole from this whole weekend of TakeOver and Survivor Series um, that they should, you know, look at. Good stuff. All right. Everyone give Wrestling Inc. a follow on Twitter at Wrestling Inc. And of course, check out WrestlingInc.com for all your latest wrestling news information. Podcasts, which you talked about at the top. Really good shows, by the way. The whole shebang. Thanks a lot for your time, Nick. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Pat. Thank you so much. Have me back uh, whenever. Feel free to reach out. All right. That'll do it for this episode. Big thank you once again to Nick Houseman from Wrestling Inc. for doing the podcast. I'm a big wrestling guy, and it's never a bad thing when you can get the managing editor of the busiest wrestling website in the world on your show. That was really cool. Thanks again, Nick. Thanks as well to Tone Pucks for Pat with Pucks. One of my favorite things about this podcast is getting to do that with him nearly every Tuesday. I always appreciate that. You know what else I'd appreciate? 
you guys subscribing to this show. If you have Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever it's called, just search the app on your phone, Analytics Podcast, click the subscribe button. Literally, that's all you got to do. Bam, new episodes automatically can send right to your phone. You can play them and you can keep them. You can play them and delete them after. I really don't care. And if you don't have Apple Podcasts, you can also subscribe on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Have a good rest of the week, especially Thursday. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Enjoy your turkey. Enjoy everything that you have in your life. Be thankful for it. Enjoy. Talk to you again on Friday. We're done here.